Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor, we give you praise, we give you thanks. Father, we have come to you in the name of Jesus. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Boldly and confidently. Not because of the works that we have done, but Lord, because of you. Because of the way that you made a new and a living way through the body and the blood of your son. That we could come boldly and confidently to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. And therefore this evening we confess our need for mercy, Lord. And we confess our need for your grace. Lord, grace to hear, grace to speak, anointing, O Lord, Father, to hear and to speak and to obey. That Lord, that the words that you speak to our hearts will, Father, Make an impression deep down in the depths of our heart and cause us to walk in your ways as you promised to us in the new covenant. To that end, I pray that you would bless, O Lord, the speaking and the hearing of this word. Grant us all, Lord Father, hearing ears, hearing ears, O Lord Father. Pray, Father, for all of them who have come from work. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen them, O Lord, in their minds and in their bodies. Come against every spirit of distraction and every spirit Tired spirit in the name of Jesus, that you grant us attentiveness and focus in this last hour of time. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we mean we are at the end of uh, our year as a church. The, the, the tenth year is almost at the end. And it's interesting that we have two new years we celebrate. Of course, we have, even in our individual lives, we have two new years. Okay, that is our birthday, which is a custom-made new year for all of us. And then, of course, we have the end of the year, which is also the new year when we enter into another year. So similarly, as a church, we have two new years on the 31st and the 1st of every year. And then, of course, in the middle of the year, almost six months into the year, we have we celebrate our anniversary. And we are finishing 10 years as a church, and it is a long time. 10 years is a decade. Okay, we, Justin was making pictures of all those, I mean, she was making a video of the 10 years since we've been as a church, and I looked at all the pictures of these little ones, John Monohar and Divya, Deepika, and Chandana here, so many little, little, little ones, in 10 years they have grown, they finished 10th grade, and we're into college, It's it's been a lifetime almost for, for some of us here who've been here from the beginning, and... It's a fact that we are getting older, right? And then we are not getting younger, any any younger in, in the Lord. And therefore, it's very important for us, even as we enter together into the 11th year as a church, some of you, of course, have joined late, um, but then you become a part of us, so still celebrate. You, could, you can't stop us from celebrating the 10th year. Um, so, even as we come, I mean, even as we are here in the end of this year, um, I was thinking, you know, every year, uh, there's a day of reckoning. I mean, every academic year, end of every academic year, you have a day of reckoning called the exam, where you have to settle the accounts with your professor to get a grade. Am I right, Sammy? I think some of you are doing it, no, in, university, in universities and colleges. And if you're an employee, every financial year, the end of every financial year, or depending upon your joining date, you have something called as an appraisal, right? Where your boss settles accounts with you to see how profitable you have been for the company, and to see how he can actually be profitable to the company by not giving an appraisal. Okay, am I right? So he just uh, looks for loopholes as to how to stop promotion. 
right? Uh, <laughs> and it 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 happens in every company, and and so in the kingdom of God. But unlike in the kingdom of God, uh, unlike in the world, in the kingdom of God, when you come to the end of the year and God wants to settle accounts with us, He tests us not to demote us but to promote us to the next level. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. That God, as a father, he wants to promote and not look for loopholes to demote. And if he's a good professor, even in a university, if he's a psyched up professor, he's looking for loopholes to flunk you, to give you an F. Whereas if he's a real, you know, benevolent professor, he wants every student of his to pass. And he's looking for opportunities to... Ensure that he doesn't repeat the course, right? It depends upon the kind of course that you take and the professor that you have. But God as a father, he always wants to promote. But unlike any other earthly examiner, God is a God who's righteous, who's just. At the same time, he's merciful and he's kind and he's got some quality. I mean, he is a God who never changes. And therefore, we need to take stock at the end of the year and settle accounts. Therefore, I just... Title today's message is Settling Accounts with God. It's very important as we come to the end of the year to do this, to settle accounts. It's good to settle accounts. Yeah? And through the Bible, I look through scripture and I find God is a God who settles accounts. He's an accountant. And and I, I don't think it's by accident that we have the two most difficult exams in our country. One is the civil services exam and the other is the chartered accountant exam. Okay, I think, and I'm sure sister is here, she understood, she, I can understand. It's the most difficult exam. It's not, JE is much, much easier than CA, no? So, God is a God who settles accounts and He is just, He is righteous, and therefore we need to understand how does He settle accounts? Through the scripture I see that He is saying there's a day of reckoning, there's a day of payments, there's a day of recompense, there's a day of reward. There's a day of judgment, what have you. Different, different uh, uh, adjectives are used to, to, to drive home the point that he is a God who settles accounts. Do you want to know that God? Look, Let us see and see scripture and try to understand how God settles accounts. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. Okay? With his servants. So, you have a king and we have servants. And he has to settle accounts with his servants. In Matthew chapter 25 verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Okay, So he settles accounts. Account clear. He wants to balance our, our, our uh, ledger, if you will. Then, Romans chapter 14 verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself. You see? We will all stand by ourselves before the judgment seat of cross, seat of God. Um, we have to give an account. Hebrews 4 verse 13. No creature is hidden from his side. You can't escape it. You can't run away. Okay. No creature is hidden from his side, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to him to whom we must give an account. We'll have to give an account. We must give an account. It means it is inevitable. We all will stand before God to give an account. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, this is what Paul will say. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? Because we must all appear 
all of us, okay, without exception, and it is going to be one-on-one. I mean, it's, it happens in your, even in your own company, right? How does it happen? One-on-one, right? Your HR will call you one-on-one. And then he will show you all the data as to what happened to uh, all the parameters that they use, which part of the bell curve you belong to if you are... I mean, it's, it happens, right? This is exactly, we must all appear one-on-one with God before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done and then he therefore he says, knowing therefore what of the Lord? The terror of the Lord we persuade men. It is going to be, think about it, no? when when we stand before God as a judge, it is going to be really, really not easy. Okay. I mean, a glimpse of it happens whenever we go to our boss's room. I need to talk to you. If, you, if your boss says, I need to talk to you, you know, it's a judgment seat of of boss, not of Christ for sure, but it is just a preamble, you know, just imagine an earthly boss can terrorize you so much, how much more a God who is just, okay, just the, just to understand that, so he is a God who wants to settle, who will settle accounts, and one of the most important accounts that we will have to settle with God, We can't escape it. We can't sentimentalize it. You know what is the most important account that we have to settle with God is the account of what we call sin. It is the unpayable debt that we owe God. Let me prove that to you from scripture. See, you need to understand, no? When we, in a church, we are, we, we study God, we need to understand who God is. God is a righteous God. He's so holy. Absolutely holy. And Moses, he trembled before the face of God and every man of God who had an encounter with him in the old covenant and in the new covenant, they fell before his face as dead. As, at his feet as dead. But he is a righteous God. He is a, Awesome, holy, righteous God and there is an unpayable debt we owe God. You know what is that unpayable debt? We call the debt of sin. In Matthew chapter 18, this is the context of of, of, uh, of where this first, this, it appears, appears for the first time in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 18 verse, verses uh, 21 onwards. This is in the New International Version. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, and I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. So it's actually seventy times seven. Uh, the NIV messed it up. That's okay. Therefore the kingdom of heaven, you see, the context in that, this is the context in which he's speaking that particular verse. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So what did he do? He came and he called all his servants. So he, as he began the settlement, they found a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold and he was brought to him. How much? 10,000 bags of gold. (laughs) I mean, it's equivalent to uh, US debt, maybe 19 trillion dollars. I don't know. If you do all kinds of PPP uh, purchasing power parity, modeling, etc. It will come to $19 trillion maybe. I don't know. And then what happened? 
the servant looked at his master and he said, and this servant fell on his knees before him. And what did he say? Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Meaning, he knew that this was the debt he has to pay. There's no running away from this. And he says, please give me some time. And when is he going to repay that money? You know, I, I remember one man of God, I think Zach Poon in one of his sermons, talks about this uh, farmer from India who called him, uh, I mean, he contacted him and he said, you know, pastor, I owe 30,000 rupees to one brother and I'm sure I'll never be able to repay. And he said, even if I have to pay 10 rupees a month, back to this man, it will take me 250 years <laughs> to repay back 30,000 rupees with interest 250 years. Now think about it. 30,000 rupees for a farmer will take 250 years. And that is the reason why we have these uh, riots in our country. The farmers going on riots because they know that they have no income to pay back the loans that they have taken from the government. And this man realizes something. He understands that he has to pay back and he begs for time knowing very well that he has no capacity to pay the debt back to God. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. We'll talk about that in a while. But let me tell you something. We have a debt which is unpayable. Okay, let me prove that to you from scripture. Sometimes, you know, we take the, take the term, Jesus has paid my debt. We owed a debt that we could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And we sing that song, I needed someone to, to take all my sins away. Amazing grace all day long, etc., etc. But we don't understand the gravity of sin. It is impossible that even a small sin can actually pay the debt that we owe to God. Shall I prove that to you from scripture? Look at what it says in Psalm 49, verse 7 onwards. Truly, look at this. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his. Did you see that? No man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly. I mean, you may say costly meaning, oh, maybe it's very, very expensive. No, 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 no. Let me tell you how costly it is. And it is so costly and can never suffice. It doesn't matter how many years you live, you have a bet, debt that you can never pay back to God. And it can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Meaning, if I want to live in the presence of God forever, the one sin that I say, that I have sinned against God, I don't have any equivalent on earthly terms to pay him back. Now, tell me, let me tell you, what is the most precious commodity on earth? God said, what does it profit a man when he will, he could, uh, he gets the whole world but loses his? That means all the wealth in the world cannot compare, is not comparable to the value of one soul. Now, one soul which is so infinitely valuable than all the treasure of the world is not sufficient to pay God back. That is the point. Another translation, verse 8, actually, the King James Version will say, for the redemption of their soul is what? Precious. And it seizeth forever. Mm -hmm. 
Very important for us to understand that. Precious. Where did we see that? Where did, where did we see this word costly and precious? We see this, these two words are there. It says costly in the ESV. Precious. How costly? What did it take for God to redeem us? First Peter chapter 1. We know this. The value. We were talking about the value of our soul last Last Sunday, do we remember? Uh, remember the value that God gives to every soul? This is what he says in First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 onwards. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver. Now think about it, no? What is the commodity on earth which will never rust? We all know. What is that? Gold. This is the commodity which will never Rust. And he says, you know what? That is actually, he says, it's corruptible actually. It's perishable. In the sight of God, even gold cannot stand the test of corruption. It will corrupt. Eventually. And I remember the marriage vows that we take. You know, we read about gold. Gold is an imperishable metal. And therefore, the covenant that man makes with God is an imperishable covenant. And the marriage covenant is like the covenant God makes with man. You see? Cold. And he says, you were not redeemed by such a things, but what were you redeemed by? By the what? By the precious blood of Christ. What was it? What does it take for the redemption of man? Something precious, so infinitely precious, so that he can be redeemed. And what is it? The blood of Christ. And what is the blood of Christ? What does it signify? The life of Christ. He pours out his life as a ransom for us. This is the un payable debt we owe God. Do you know the seriousness of sin? Think about it, no? You know, you know, so many of us have a very cavalier and easy attitude about sin. The way we come to God and say, okay, Lord, I just, uh, this time I slipped up and messed up. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's very serious. Even a, even a thought in your mind. Serious. And the moment you think those thoughts, you have a debt you cannot pay. Hmm. Question is, if that is the case, are we casual about sin? How many of us have unconfessed sin in our lives even till date? When I'm saying unconfessed, I don't mean sins that you do not, you're not conscious about. There are certain things which you're not conscious about. I'm not talking about that. The, all the sins that you know that you committed, you very well know, know it. But you just said, you know, it's okay. Think about it. Words that you have spoken to others. Unkind words. Anger. Lustful thoughts. Money that you took and you'd never repaid back conveniently. You need to understand. Very serious. 10 rupees, 20 rupees is, ah, it's okay, okay, okay. It's not okay. Like pastor was saying, there's nothing called free lunch. Somebody paid it. There's nothing free in the kingdom of God and in outside the kingdom of God, there is nothing free. Drinks on the house, <laughs> lunch on the house, it does not mean that it nobody has paid for it. Somebody else has paid for it. Somebody has paid for it. Therefore, we need to understand 
our sin. And you can never, re- you cannot unsin. Can you unsin? No. Something which has already been affected cannot be changed. You cannot unsin. You cannot do more works. Yeah. That is the reason why that songwriter will say, Could my zeal, not the labor of my hands, can fulfill the lost demands? Could my zeal, no respite, no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save. And thou alone, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I am done. That is the song. They all understood. They had the depths of the, of the knowledge of what sin does in their lives. And you see some of the old covenant saints. Look at Joseph, for example. What is our attitude towards sin? Psalm, this is uh, um, Psalm 51 verse 4. This is uh, David. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Genesis 39.9, this is Joseph. There is none greater in this house than I. In other words, nobody is watching. You know, when we actually do sins in the secret, we are actually saying, God, you don't look at us. You just, you're not there. Hmm. How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? Every sin. It doesn't matter what kind of a sin it is. It could be small, it could be large. Every sin puts us in an account we cannot pay back at all. Understand that. So therefore, this this end of the year, do I owe God? Do I... We cannot do anything in our own strength. So what does God do? He has to solve this problem, right? We cannot solve it by ourselves. So what does God do? In Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, verse 13, this is a very interesting translation. This is the English Standard Version. This is what it says. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven how many of our trespasses? All our trespasses. How did he do it? By cancelling the record of what? Of debt. We all have a debt. He cancelled the record that we owe God by doing what? By putting it aside and nailing it to the cross. When you hear that, you should say what? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And not only that. He does not, not only cancels the debt, but he does something even bigger than that. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 6 onwards. David says the same thing when he speaks the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Okay. Verse 7 onwards. Blessed. Actually the word is in in Telugu, dhanya. Dhanyudu. Dhanya means rich. How is the richness? How did we become rich? Because he credits his righteousness to us. We, we are so rich by, by, by uh, those transgressions which are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will never count against him the sin. That is how he cancels the debt that we owe to God, the sin debt that we owe. And this is an unpayable debt, by the way. Unpayable debt that we owe God. So if we really understand this truth, okay, 
somebody, I owe someone 2 lakh rupees, let's say, I mean, 2 lakhs is a huge money for me, let's say. And somebody comes and says, Vijay, take this money. I remember one friend of mine, okay, long time back, one, one friend of mine. I really was in a financial crunch. He came to me and he said, Vijay, take this money. A non-believer. And afterwards, suddenly, you know, all of a sudden, I started becoming, you know, a little uh, nice to him, etc. And he said, Vijay, you don't have to be nice to me. No strings attached. Just because I'm giving you money, don't try to... act mat kar, okay? Dosti ko itna choda mat soch. <laughs> that is the, the kind of language that they use. I mean, it's very nice, right? Think about it, no? The moment I couldn't have, I, I didn't have that kind of a money, he came and he gave me the money and he said, no strings attached, Vijay. What will, what will be my attitude be toward my friend? Incredible respect, isn't it? Incredible love for him, isn't it? Tremendous respect, absolutely. And we had an unpayable debt toward God. What should be our natural response to God. That is the point. See, and this is where another incident in the gospel according to Luke where he's talking about settling of debts. Jesus throws this parable in Simon the Pharisee's house. Look at what he says. Jesus, chapter 7 of Luke, from verses 41 onwards. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. Okay? One owed him 500 dinari, another owed 50. Neither of them had the power to pay him back. Now think about it, no? How does it matter if <laughs> one owed 50 and the other owed 500 when both of them don't have the money to pay back? It is as good as both of them owing the same amount of money, isn't it? And then he says, neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? The question is, what will happen to the guy who understands that he had a debt which he could never repay, and somebody come and paid up the debt? What will be the natural response of that person? And the answer is, a four-letter word, a good four-letter word, called L-O-V-E. Love. That is the reason why the goal of all instructions, Timothy, I mean, Paul tells Timothy, he says, the goal of all our instruction and all our commandment is this. What is it? Love from a pure heart and faith which is without hypocrisy. This is love. And you know what he says? He continues, he says, he says, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. I mean, he's a Jew, you know, he understands everything very nicely. He, he understands accounts very well. And you know what Jesus says? You're intelligent man. You've judged very correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? You know, often in the Bible, the church is symbolized as a woman. And if God were to look at us as a church, okay, do you see this woman over here? Vijay, Sam, Panuprakash, everybody here, do you see these people over here? Can he say that about us? Peter, the one who's sitting next to the, I'm just taking names randomly. Do you see Vijay? Do you see Peter? Do you see Chandana? Do you see all of us? Do you see that person over there? What is he doing? You did not give me any water for my feet. And the feet in the old days is the most dirtiest part of the body. 
because they didn't have tar roads, etc. Like, I mean, in Hyderabad, you don't have to have any kind of tar roads. The dust will come to you from no direction. It is something which will will attract by default. Okay. But, uh, one of the first things, like, you know, in, in, my, in my home, did you wash your feet? Look at your feet. Feet, feet, feet. Uh, it's, it's by default, right? What does the mother say? The moment you come from outside, wash your feet because that is the most dirtiest part of your body. And this is exactly what, what he's, what, what she's, uh, what he's doing, telling about the woman. Do you see this woman? What she's doing to my feet? The body of Christ is, 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 has feet. And you know what? Most of the people in the body of Christ dirty their feet most of the time. Oh? And what did the servant of all servants do? <laughs> Who is actually the king of all kings. He came. Took a ball. And started washing the dirtiest of all feet in Israel on that day. And he said, you know what, did you see this woman? She's washing my feet. With what? With her tears. Oh my goodness, do you have? Do you really weep over your sin? Do you really experience, did you ever experience the love of God when you were forgiven of your sin? And I remember the first time when I was forgiven, I knew that I was forgiven. I couldn't stop crying. Now it is becoming very hard to cry. Oh my goodness. Has it become really hard for you to cry? In fact, let me tell you something. Even as you progress in the Lord, should you cry more for your sin or should you cry less for your sin? Ah! You understand that equation very well, don't you? And she said, she's crying. And she's washing her tears with her hair, hair standing for her glory. She's washing the feet and she's not stopping there. You know what she's doing? You did not give me a kiss. But this woman has stopped kissing my feet. You know, that is what we call as just embracing everyone in the body of Christ with all their problems, all their difficulties as your own. That is what we call as kissing. You did not put oil on my hair, but she started pouring perfume so that every believer who's thinking as you think they most of the time, what they have a a sweet fragrance. That is okay. Do you have this kind of a response? You know, why does she do, why, why does she do it? Because she understands that she has been forgiven so much because she understood that she had a debt which is unpayable and therefore she owes a debt to her which is an expression not of giving back to God but an expression of love, honor and reverence. Did you settle those accounts with the body of Christ, my dear brothers and sisters? Let me show you how do you do that. Look at what Sam, uh, Paul will say in Romans chapter 13 verse 8. This is the NIV. Let no debt remain outstanding. First part. Let no debt remain outstanding. We are entering into another year as a church. This is what the Lord is telling to all of us. Let no debt remain outstanding. Begin, you know, so one of the things you need to understand, if you don't have money to repay back, start off with a small token amount. Go to your creditors and ask for mercy. Hmm. And say, you know what, I, I don't have the money right now, but 
I want to pay back. I have the intention of paying back all the debt that I owe. See, it's not about whether you paid or whether you're willing to do it or not is the question. That's what the Lord sees, not whether you have the ability to do it or not. The willingness should be there first. We'll come to that later on. But let no debt remain on starting except what? What, what, what kind of a debt? Hey, look at this word. The continuing debt to love one another. What kind of a debt is that? A continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has put it in. This was, you know, Paul took this particular message so seriously in his own life. Look at, look at how he responds to this. Next, in Romans chapter 1, this is not chapter 4, this is Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I am a debtor to whom? To both Greeks and to the barbarians. To the wise and to the unwise. I'll tell you. How many of you read this verse? How do we apply it in our own lives? Who are the Greeks for us? I'll tell you what. Who are the Greeks for us? Greeks are our kind of people. For example, if you are a very educated person, you come to church, you are only looking for all your kind of people. Oh, this is educated, smart, etc. You only go and fellowship with your kind of people. All the others are barbarians. Oh, I'll, put, I'll take it to the other extreme, no? So many people have a lot of problems. So their kind of people are the people who are going through their kind of problems. No? Look at me. Look at my family. Look at my finances. Look at my husband. Look at my wife. All the problems that I have. Do you understand what I'm going through? You barbarian. You're boasting about all our problems all the time. Boasting about our problems. You know, I, whenever I think about boasting, I get all this this uh, this joke that I heard when I was a kid. You know, three friends boasting about their fathers. One fellow said, you know, my father is so great, he can jump into the Ganga river and he can come out of the Brahmaputra river. Oh, another guy got so, and he said, my father is so great, he can jump into the oh, Indian Ocean and come out of the Atlantic Ocean. Third guy was like, river over, ocean over, what else is there, Baba? He said, he got an idea, he said, my father is so great, he can jump into the tank and come out of the tap. See? Eat that, you fellows. <laughs> In other words, you see. That's exactly how we boast about it. Do you see my problem that I'm going through? You barbarian. That's what he said. All the people are, who are going through your kind of problems are your Greeks. The rest are all barbarians. People who have your kind of education and background and cultural background and literary background are wise. Everybody else is unwise. You have this aloof category. I was speaking to a brother in the morning. I don't want to name, name him. <laughs> he called me and he said, Pastor, my, my father and my mother, they not only want a girl, but they also want a girl from this... No, no not only a, want a girl who is white and educated. White and educated. I don't understand why this South Indian has this feeling about white. She has to be white. I mean, look at your color, Baba. You are not white. Yeah, this, you should, you know, most South Indians, they have this feeling. You should be white. 
I don't know why, but whatever it is, okay. Then she should be white and she should not only be white and educated, she should also be from the same caste. This is Christian. All the others are barbarians for them. Oh my goodness. They don't understand that we owe a debt to everybody in the church, you see. You know, something so difficult for all of us. To me too. Oh, one of the things that Sister Elsa told me when she met me for the first time, she thought I was a snob. <laughs> With a nose up like that, she said, boy, Vijay, you have an attitude, right? Touch me not, I am holier than thou. We are a, we have got what we call as an antiseptic attitude in Christendom. See? So, so very important to understand. We owe a debt to our brothers in the church. Do you understand that? You know, every brother in the church may be going through a lot of problems, albeit because of his stupidity. Will you still embrace him as your brother? And accept him with his problems? Did Jesus not accept us with all our stupidity and all our backsliding, all our running away from him? Did he not purchase us? Did he not choose himself to identify himself with us when he went into the waters of baptism? I, I mean, I, I want to, re- I just imagine that scene, okay, when uh, Jesus is standing in line, by the way, he didn't, he's Jesus, he's just because he was the king of kings and the lord of lords, he didn't say, oi, move, I let me go first, he didn't say that. He all, they all stood in one line, they were coming one by one, one by one, confessing their sins and repenting. They were publicly confessing their sins. So, I, I, can, I, can, I can imagine, let's say you have like 50 people standing in the line, okay? They were talking to each other. I beat up my wife, oh, I have to confess that now. But I, I want to repent, I want, I want. And then, they were all talking about all their sins that they committed and this man is standing in the middle. What did he commit? He's actually remaining silent. He must have done something very big because he's so shameful, he doesn't even want to say it out. Then, he gets into the waters of baptism. You know what some, you know who actually declares him just, not Jesus himself. John the Baptist looks at him and he says, you know that is the reason why Jesus said, don't put a trumpet and say, papa, papa, let others say good good things about you. Okay, and then and then he comes into the waters of baptism, and then, then John the Baptist looks at him and he says, "You're asking me to baptize you? I need to baptize you. Need to baptize me. Take it easy. This has to be done to fulfill all righteousness." Man says great testimony about Jesus and says, "You are actually sinless." But you know what Jesus says? I don't even accept the testimony of man. You know the moment comes out of the waters of baptism, the heavens open and there is a testimony from God himself saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see. And then you know, says, why did he do that? For us all, so that he could identify himself with all our problems, with all our stupidity and our sins and our backslidings and our inconsistencies and our sloppiness and our sloth and our sluggardness. That is God. And if that is the case, do you believe that you owe a debt to the body of Christ, my dear brothers and sisters? It's an unpayable debt. It's a continuing debt till I die. Hmm. Consider that.
smoke on that. First Corinthians chapter 9, 1, 1 verse 19. This is, look at this Paul. No, I mean, I, I cannot imagine this guy. Look at what he says. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself slave to everyone. <laughs> to, the, to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became like the one who is under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those having not the law, I became like the one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under the, Christ, under the law of Christ, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means, I might save some. Why do I do this? I do this for the sake of the gospel. That I may share. How can I not share the riches in, that I have in my bank account with everybody else? Because I understand. I have a debt to the body of Christ. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a sin that you think that God can never forgive? There is no sin. Except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. None of you did that. None of us did it. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. But if he did forgive you that sin, will you accept somebody else and say, you know, Lord, I don't owe anybody anything. But because the love that you showered upon me, I owe a continuing debt to all my brothers. To you first and then to all my brothers. You know what you need, my dear brothers and sisters? I'll tell you what you need. Let me read some scripture for you. This is Solomon and his prayer. This is in the King James translation. Look at what Solomon says in his prayer. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. What did he give him? Wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Breath of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the, of the east and all the wisdom of the Egypt. What kind of wisdom is this? How many of you want this kind of wisdom? Let me see your hands. Nobody wants wisdom? Are I want wisdom. I'm shameless. Okay. Are raise your hands up in the sky, up in the air. Good. You want wisdom? Let me let me say specifically what that wisdom should constitute. Another translation in the English Standard Version. God gave Solomon wisdom, understanding exceeding much, and what? And largeness of heart. You know what you need to ask God? Lord, give me a large heart that I will be all things to all people and not stick to these people who are comfortable. Oh my goodness, how much we need to learn this. I get convicted when I hear this. How much we are aloof from so many people in the body of Christ. This is the prayer of David in Psalm 119 verse 32. I shall run the way of your commandments because whoever loves God, if you love me, you will keep my... Okay, so what does what God do? I shall run the way of your commandments for you will what? Enlarge my heart to love you. That is the reason why it says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, ask God this year for giving you an attitude that you owe a continuing debt to the body of Christ. That is one debt you can never pay back. Amen? Amen. Okay. Alright, so but what does the wicked servant do? 
Then the master called the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all that he owed. Could he ever pay it back? No. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, forgive. But in your, instead of your heart, Lord, pay him back, Lord. Hmm. No, 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 no. Forgive. Forgive. Don't owe. Let's ask God for that graciousness. Lord, enable me to have a large heart. Hmm? Amen. Okay. So the first lesson I learned, God is going to ask us an account of the forgiveness that we receive. That is the first account that we have to settle every day of our life. And I know it's not easy. It's easier said than done. But it is one of the things that we need to choose to do the moment we start doing it. You know what? Practice make it perfect for sure. Even in Christianity. Practice forgiveness. Amen. Okay. Then, the next account that we need to settle. Okay? Let's, let's see the next account. I call it, Occupy till I come. That is the next account. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minors and said to them, engage in I love that. Engage in business till I come. Ten minus ten servants, each each person gets. Divide. Are simple mathematics, no? Ten minus ten servants. Each servant got? Ten minus. What does it mean? You know, this is different from the parable of the talents. Look at, just trying to differentiate the two. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey, this is Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 onwards, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, another one, one, to each according to his ability. So therefore, there is an unequal distribution of talents, but equal distribution of minus, therefore minus stands for Yes. My, what is that something which is common to everybody? Time. Everybody has got the same amount of time. And what is God asking us to do? Engage in business. And what is the most precious commodity for business people? Ah, time. You wasted so much of my time. That is the constant thing that I will say. Don't waste my time. Not on my time, etc., etc., etc. Why? Because for them, time is business. Because opportunities lost are gone. I remember if you've seen the movie Pirates of the Silicon Valley. How many of you have seen the movie Pirates of the Silicon Valley? Okay, only one. Okay, if you haven't seen, there's a movie. There's a scene where Bill Gates is having this uh, interview with a company to sell his software, and he loses his flight. Almost. You should see the way he argues with the guy at the desk to stop the flight so that he can get into into the flight. And he says, that was a turning point in my life. If I had lost that flight, I would have lost all my business. And Bill Gates would have been somebody, ordinary man. He would have never been the greatest billionaire, the richest man in the world. Opportunities lost. 
we know we understand that in the business world we understand that when we study for exams right why you waste time the day the exam comes you know it especially if it's not a uh, if it's a university exam everybody takes it easy one day batting is sufficient but if you do entrance exam oh time is money time is one rank time is hundreds of ranks 0.25 marks will actually shift your ranks by 100 especially if you are on the latter end of the bell curve <laughs> 0.25 marks will make a lot of difference says there is time which is equal to the question is what is saying that if we have to give an account for the time that god has given us in this world everybody different range of time okay but you have each day 24 hours what is your attitude what was the attitude of jesus luke's gospel chapter 19 okay engaged in business till i come this is what he said occupy till i come so sorry when he returned having received the kingdom he ordered those servants to come back and he asked for an account right look at what he says the first came before him saying lord your mina has made how many minas are you know what what it means one one hour you gave me i made it 10 hours i did parallel processing multiplied time can anybody multiply time apparently so he could you know what did jesus say well done good servant you have been faithful so what did he call him well done good servant faithful servant what did he do he had the same in moment of time the one mina he made it into 10 minas so another guy came and the second came came saying lord your mina has made how many minas five minas what did he say you take five cities did he call him well done no did he call him faithful no did he call him good no because everybody had the same amount of time mm-hmm. the question is do we have a sense of urgency do you know your business so if you really know your business how are you spending your time look at what it says in luke's gospel chapter 2 now so it was after 3 days they found him who is this jesus he was lost right they found him in the midst of the temple sitting in the midst of teachers both listening to them and asking them questions okay and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers So when they saw him they were amazed and his mother said to him son why have you done this to us look your father and i have sought you anxiously and look at his answer and he said to them why did you seek me did you not know that i must be about my father's business i am doing business over here yeah and what did he do spending time in the temple listening and asking now the question is how many of you listen and ask questions as a teacher i know the guy who asks questions is the guy who is prepared for the class and the rest of the people are only wasting their time and uh, my time also most of the time when you when you when you when you some some students are really on the money they are after your life because they want a grade 
And they are listening intensely. I know it. I mean, when I teach some of the students in my class, not all of them, at least at least 30% are like, like the, you should see that posture at the edge of the seat, gobbling up every word that is coming out of my mouth, especially when I scare them. You know, they ask me the question, sir, how many, what is the syllabus for the exam? That is a no, no, normal question. Everybody asks, sir, what is the syllabus for the exam? The midterm exam is coming. Sir, what is the syllabus for the exam? Whatever happens till the last day of the last class is there in the exam. That's what I tell them. And I tell them, every word that comes out of my mouth, I'm not accountable. Who's accountable? You are accountable. And you should see from the next next class, they're all sitting and listening. You know why? Because there's a day of rest. They want to listen and gobble up every word that comes out of their mouth because they know that there is an exam coming and this could be the question. If I miss it, my grade is gone. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's listening and asking questions. Let me tell you, there is a time and a season where God will give you opportunities to listen Ask questions and gobble up his word and put that word in your hearts. How many of you spend time listening to God and asking him questions? How many of you spend time reading transcripts and listening to the messages and asking pastor questions? How many of you actually ask questions? Oh. Pastor Jepindu Vedavaku. No, 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 no. That is the reason why it says in the book of Acts 17.11, the Bereans, the Jews in Berea, were much more nobler than the Jews in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they went home and searched the scriptures every day to see if Paul was telling what was say, what he was saying was true or not, according to the word of God. You see, you need to understand, whatever comes out of my mouth, who is accountable? You are all accountable. If you say, pastor said it, (laughs) yes, I will be accountable. You will also be accountable for accepting it without checking. Are you about your father's business? Do you have, do you know what is father's business? Do you know what is for the father's business? You know what is the father's business? This is what he says. I should be about my father's business. Another translation. Look at what it says in the verse 49. Another. This is the English standard version. And he said to them, this is to his parents, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my? Ah, I must be in my father's house. So what is the father's business? His house is his business. How many of you are interested in building the body of Christ and the house of God? Are you occupied in his business? Business of building the body of Christ together, that is the reason why it says in First Peter chapter 2, if, he, if I'm right, he says, we are all living stones being built up into one body. Are you busy building up? Asking questions, reading the scriptures, meditating upon the word of God, or don't you have, you have no time at all. You're so busy. So busy. You know, I, I hear sometimes, brother, brother say, brother, I'm so busy, I can't read, I don't have time for scriptures. Boy, I don't think Jesus was the most busiest man, but he had time to ask questions and listen to questions, listen to sermons. Do you have the time? Are you busy? Haggai chapter 1. Thus says the Lord, these people say, the time is not at right to rebuild the house. You know what he says? 
But is it time for you to dwell in your own house? You build your own house, your careers, your have, you have time for everything. But God, are you occupied? Are you occupied in the father's business? First Corinthians chapter 7. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are, uh, those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Why? Because the time is short. What occupies your mind all the time? Most of the time. What do you think? Do you think of the opportunities and the money that you could make? If at all I had one million dollars. You know something? I think sometimes, Lord, if I could have done this, 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 this and one million dollars, one patent I would have got. But do I really think in the same way about the father's house? About the father's house? About his house? About his house? That is me, myself, which is a part of the body of Christ. Where I read and spend time and meditate upon the word of God. Spend time in scriptures, understanding, asking questions. Do you have questions at all? Hmm. See? Okay. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. You see that? How many people are engrossed? Whom should I... The most important question is whom should I marry is one of the most important questions. Whom should I marry? Whom should I marry? Whom should I marry? Whom should I marry? After that, why did I marry? Why did I marry? Engrossed. This is so true. As that is the most important thing that occupies their mind. And I, it used to be my... Uh, during our growing up days, right? To talk among believer brothers... We should get a BBG. What is BBG? Beautiful believer girl. Occupied with that. All the time. Never occupied with studying the scriptures. Never occupied by looking and searching the scriptures and understanding what my business is in the body of Christ. So much of time wasted in in daydreaming most of the time. Think about it, no? I mean, some of you who are not... Rosgar. Uh, we call it Bay Rosgar, right? What, are you, what do you think about most of the time? Do you really occupy yourself? Are you engrossed in worry and anxiety, etc.? I remember, you know, when, when I became once upon a time Bay Rosgar, I experienced Bay Rosgar. What do you call as uh, sitting on the bench and pink slip, what have you. I got Berosgar. The first the day I became Berosgar, I took my Bible out. I understood why it was Berosgar. And if you wouldn't believe what was six months, 24 by 7, I read the scriptures. Read, 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 24 by 7, most of my wakeful hours. Read, read from... From morning till evening, from Genesis to Revelation, I marked it blue, 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 all kinds of colors. Ultimately, I got what you call the blue letter Bible, which is there online now. That's not mine, but of course, 
Your blue blouse marked and marked and marked and studied and studied and studied six months. And what I studied those six months is what actually I share from the pulpit most of the time. Because that was that time I completely set apart. You think about it. What is the, what are you, I know so many of your brothers and sisters are Behrosgar. What are you thinking most of the time? Do you spend time understanding what the will of God is? Are you occupied in the father's business? Do you think the things that happen, that happen to you just happen because it's an accident? Okay, why are you bearers God? Do you think it was an accident that God made you without a job? I don't know. I don't think so. No. He's getting our attention. Look at what is what happens if you lose opportunities. John's Gospel chapter 9, verse 4 onwards. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. All opportunities will be lost. To spend time memorizing, studying. Let me tell you, my young brothers over here. The abilities that you have when you are a young man, you will not possess when you become old. Am I right, Dan? The, 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 the energies, for example. The energies, the strength, the tenacity, you will not... If you look at the most successful athletes, all of them started when they were teens. Do you know that? Everybody was teenagers when they started. All of them. If you take the most celebrated tennis player other than Federer. Ah, yeah, Nadal, yes. He started when he was 15 years old. 15. 15. Actually, he was a right-hand player and his coach said, his uncle said, switch hands. Think about it. If he was 25 years old and he, and he, his coach would have asked him to ch- change his hand, would he have been successful? No way. He looked at this guy's life. He looked at his style and he looked at his, you know, he was ambidextrous. Actually, Nadal is ambidextrous. And he said, you know what? If you become left-hander, you will be more successful. And that changed his life. And he changed it when he was young. If you look at Lamentations chapter 3 verse 27, you know what it says? It is good for a man to come under discipline when he is young. You have abilities when you are young and when you grow, you will never have those abilities. I I look at my daughter, she has got an incredible photographic memory. She will tell the context when I said something to her. And I'm not, not because of anything great about her, but she's, they have the abilities because they're fresh in their mind, they're young. And they can change, they can do anything when they're young, but when you grow old, it becomes so, so, so difficult for you to change, to gain skills, to change lifestyles when you become older. So don't waste your young years, especially if you are below 30 years. How many below 30? Oh yeah. Majority of the congregation. I'm also, just kidding. It's, it's a, it's a, by the way, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an attitude, okay? A young is an attitude. My dad, yeah, I refuse. Not because I, I, I refuse the biological clock. I refuse that I can't learn. That is what I refuse. That I will have the ability to learn. That I will have the ability to change. Okay? So, don't waste Time, don't waste opportunities, don't squander opportunities when you are young because God will ask you for an account. Okay? 
And therefore we'll need to learn from biology. Especially from the insect class called ants. Look at what it says. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bed, bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You know, they're instinctive. They understand that if they don't work hard, their survival is at stake. You know the story of the ant and the grasshopper, right? They got it from the Bible. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding on of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And this is an attitude which you will take through your life if you don't deal it when you are young. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 9. Chapter 10 verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, slow is the sluggard to those who send him. Now this is a little uh, weird translation. Look at, look at another modern translation, how it renders it. Lazy people irritate their employers. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Irritate them. You, you know that, right? My, 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 when I was in uh, uh, Maharashtra, my parents had that, that uh, not a gas stove, the stove on the wood. And they used to do... And then the smoke used to come and hit your eyes. It irritate you. That's what he says. Lazy people are like that. Sluggards, slothful people. Therefore, what is what is the efficiency here? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Another play, another translation. Look carefully that you how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of time. Other translation, every opportunity is because the days are evil. Make you best use it because it will never going to come back again. Every opportunity that God has given you, it will not come back again. So don't squander. <clears throat> Therefore, let us not be unwise, but let us understand what the will of God is. Don't be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, meaning wasting away. Don't waste your time and squander your opportunities. So the second lesson I learned, God is going to ask us an account of the way we spend his time and his opportunity. Okay? Finally. He's going to ask an account for the forgiveness that we receive. He's going to ask the account for the time and the opportunities that he has given us. And third, he's going to ask account of the abilities that he has given us. Matthew chapter 25. One guy got how many talents? Five talents. Another guy got how many talents? Two talents. Another guy got how many? One. But what did he say? First guy, five to ten. What is your commendation? Well done. Good. Faithful. Another guy got two to four. What did he get? Well done. Good. Faithful. You see that? And the other guy, wicked, slothful. Let me tell you something. I know some of you young people have got incredible talents. And there is a proverb in English. An unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. What is that? An unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. And most people who have got incredible brains are the most laziest. And I got another definition of genius. Derek Prince. A genius is the man who has the capacity to take infinite pain. A capacity. 
capacity to take infinite pain. That is a genius who will never give up even if he had only one talent. Everyone has at least one for sure. How many of you don't think that you have none? You are lying. You are living in what we call as willful ignorance. Because you don't want to acknowledge the fact that God... You know why that guy with one talent was... He didn't work because he was jealous of the other guy. But he didn't understand. He had to just make one more. That's all. The more the talents that you have, Baba, more headaches. Because you have to give an account for, for everything that you have given. What is the principle over here? Luke's Gospel chapter 12 verse 48, 47 to 48. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Why? For everyone to whom much is given, much will be required of him. The principle is this. For if there is willingness, the gift is acceptable according to one, what one has and not what according to one does not have. You have it, then you are accountable. If you don't have it, you are not accountable. That is, see, God is not partial. He is absolutely just. And he is absolutely holy. And he is absolutely merciful. He has given all of us at least one gift. One gift for sure. And some of you have, he has given many gifts. I know it. And so many have squandered those gifts. Are in the process of squandering those gifts. With laziness and with sloth. One of the things that I have realized after coming to ministry. Honestly, let me tell you something. Because, you know, unlike you are... You, you people who work in software companies or software companies, however you look at it. I mean, I don't. <laughs> you know what? You need to put in specific hours. Okay. But when you come to ministry, you know, you don't actually have people sitting on your head to put in specific amount of hours. You can actually get away. And I realized when I, the moment I came to ministry, I could not I, because because I, there was no actual boss per se who's sitting on my head. And Pastor James will never ask me. He is like that. It, it is I who have to make a conscious decision to go and make myself accountable to him. You see, it happens and, and it is, it, I can be given to sloth so easily. And waste my time and squander it. And thank God for people who are in software companies, software companies, what have you. And if you have a boss who is actually monitoring your time, it is good for you. Learn to utilize that time so that that discipline has been inculcated in your life. You see, otherwise it will show. The cracks will appear. And I understood one thing. When you come to ministry, all your laziness, all your sloth, every weakness will be exposed. One time or the other. I mean, it will be so glaring and so embarrassing sometimes. If you come to the ministry, you'll understand. One of the reasons why I wanted to be a faculty is because, you know, I wanted to be the master of my own time. Have classes according to my will. Schedule according to my will. Students according to my will. But God took me <laughs> from that and he put me somewhere else where I have to be accountable, you see. I have to fight sloth every day. And let me tell you something. Every one of us has got the capacity to become slothful and sluggard and get into that comfort zone and begin to rut in that comfort zone. It's like the children of Israel, 38 years, and God says, how many days journey was it? It actually takes 11 days 
from Kadesh Barnia to the promised land. But how many years did you go in that circle? 38 years and finally God had to say, Baba, you drove along in circles for sufficient time. And they did not realize they were going on and on. And there's just so many believers. Same problem, same struggle. Oh, they are gone into a rut. And they're not even dizzy anymore. Actually, I'm dizzy now. They're not even dizzy anymore. They're not even dizzy. They've just gone into a rut. It's completely comfortable in their comfort zone. And God says, break out of that. You have to sit because God has given every one of us at least one gift and he will ask us and account for that. And if you are good at language, boy, what a gift you have. You don't even know if you have a good. If you have a gift, you are accountable. It is not according to what you do not have, but what according to what you have and God will ask us an account. So the question is, what if we have wasted all our opportunities? How many of you think that you have wasted your opportunities and wasted time? I did it. Oh, I, how many of you, I mean, so many of us think, right? If I could just wind up the clock and go back in time, I wish I had, oh, my dad is here. And if I could go back in time, I, and if I didn't, with the same amount of knowledge, by the way, I mean, something hasn't changed, the same amount of knowledge, the same amount of experience. If I would have gone back 20 years in my life, I would have done so many things differently, I'm telling you honestly, from the bottom of my heart. Oh, how many of the stupid, idiotic decisions I could have avoided. Stupid, idiotic friendships. Stupid, idiotic habits. Which will haunt you for a lifetime. But thank God. He gives us a promise, doesn't he? Thank you. Look at what I have to end with a promise. Joel chapter 2 verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. What the crawling locust has eaten, the consuming locust has eaten, and the chewing locust has eaten. Actually, four kinds of locusts. The swarming locust, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. I mean, that's a different sermon altogether. Every wasted year. We sing that song, right? Wept for my wasted years. Don Moen's song. Wept for my... How many of you believe that you wept? That, that you, how many of you wept for your wasted years? You weep for your wasted years. I wish you do sufficiently. I will restore. And then he says, and it shall come to pass after that. You know what I'm going to do? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You know, you know how God can actually expand time for you? One day in his presence is how many, how many days? Oh, do you know that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that one day in his presence, he can give you the ability of thousand days? How many of you think that you can live for thousand days from now on? Very difficult. Thousand days means at least ten years from now on. You don't have guarantee. One day in his presence, he can do that. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And all my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out. 
if I being evil father gives good gifts to my children how much more my father in heaven. I'll tell you something. My father is a father who wants to settle accounts but he is also a father who wants to see that every child of his success has become a good faithful servant. This is Weep for your waste videos. Weep for wasting your talent, wasting your talents. Weep for wasting your videos. Settle your accounts for the end of the year. The coming year is a law. Every opportunity you give, I will not grab with one hand. If I have multiple hands, like Lakshmi, I will grab with all. That's what you know, Warlord, is God has so many hands. Just grab it with all. Rather than that, what the lady did, she said, What opportunity to wash Jesus' feet? She came to best. Mary Magdalene, the best 300 dinari. One year, I don't think more than one year, 10 years wages, came and put it in the house. She grabbed it. Because after that, they wanted to anoint Jesus, but what happened to him? He rose and went away. Only one person anointed Jesus. You know who that was? Mary Magdalene. She grabbed the opportunity that she got with both hands. You know why? Seven demons went out of her and she said to Lord, you forgive me much. You will give me so much. I want to give the opportunity of every advantage, every opportunity, every talent, every time of opportunity. And I, my encouragement is especially to all young people who are in this house. Don't waste your time. It is good for you to come under discipline for you. Come under discipline. Come under accountability. Just before pastor was leaving, he told me two things. He said, okay, you need two things. You need desire, you need discipline. Desire without discipline is like a car. It's like fuel without a car. Or a car without brakes is just going. Discipline without desire is like a car stationary. Everything is so nice. Chamak, you have seen some cars, right? Those fellows, they look. Perfect condition. But useless. But desire, discipline. Desire, discipline. Desire, discipline. You know what is going on? You will never waste opportunities like this. You want to be like that? You will never waste opportunities like that. But we will call your possible finish to work. God is a God who will ask for an account of even words. Amen. <coughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord. You speak to us not to condemn us because you are interested in our well not just our earthly, temporal well-being, but in our eternal well-being. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will find in this house tonight and all those people who will listen to this sermon on the internet, you will find people who are absolutely on fire for you. You have desire, and you not only have the desire, but also have the desire to be disciplined. Thank you, Father. We praise you. Especially this evening, O oh Lord, we pray, Father, for Amachi. Thank you, Father, for her, for her life. 
for her testimony. So thank you, Father, for the way that you brought her into our midst, Lord. As a church, we bless her in your name. We thank you, Father, for the way that you watched over her all of the last year, Lord. And even as she enters into another year. Father, I pray that you would go ahead of her, straight and crooked paths for her. And every plan and a purpose that you have for her in, in this life, O Lord Jesus. That, Lord, that you would bless her, O Lord. And, Lord, you would fulfill your life, your, your testimony and your purpose in our life, O Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just as David fulfilled God's purpose in a generation, she will also, O Lord, fulfill God's purpose in our generation, O Lord. We speak that into her life in the name of Jesus. We speak, O Lord, Father, your health and, Lord, your peace into our life, Lord. Thank you. We praise you for this magnificent Once again, we commit Pastor James into your hands, O Lord. Be with him, O Lord Jesus. Father, anoint him every day of the ministry, O Lord. And Lord, bring a wrought a mighty revival, O Lord Jesus, that man. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, that's that for today.